Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. And of course, if you have Bible in hand, hope you do, that we are going to continue in our study in the book of Romans, chapter 13. We have been doing a verse-by-verse study in Romans for the last several weeks, the last several months. We have covered the first 12 chapters of Romans, so we'll go into chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. And continue our study in Romans. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Pastor John has uh, some extra Bibles in his hand. He'll love to give you one. And you can read God's Word with us this morning as we are going to be moving into Romans chapter 13. And of course, if you've been with us in our study, the book of Romans, that Paul began this last section of Romans in chapter 12 as he writes to us about the conduct and behavior that we are to have as Christians. He urged the reader that be a living sacrifice because of the mercies of God, even those mercies that we went over so carefully, how we have been saved by grace through Jesus Christ, how he has set us apart to live for him, how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have the spirit of adoption where we can cry out, Abba, Father. There's no separation from his love because of these mercies that you be a living sacrifice as unto the Lord. And then as we continue traveling through chapter 12, he begins to tell us, don't think too highly of yourself. Have sober thinking, right thinking. Be humbled before the Lord. Serve one another with spiritual gifts is what you are to do. And he uh, would list those spiritual gifts in chapter 12 that we went over. And then our conduct towards one another. Your love is to be without hypocrisy. That is, have an honest love towards one another, uh, agape love, a sincere love, and we're to be kind to one another with brotherly love. Be fervent in spirit. In other words, don't be a lazy Christian. Be steadfast in praying, especially as you're going through tribulations, and be given the hospitality to one another. And then you are not to overcome evil with evil, and make sure that you understand this, that you're not to be vengeful, and the Lord says, uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And what we have discovered is, as we have uh, discussed the believer's function in the body of Christ and then with others, now as we continue to see how it is that we can be a living sacrifice moving into chapter 13, what our function as believers are in society, which we live. And so we're going to see that the Christian conduct encompasses every single area of our lives and what our responsibilities are to be before the civil authorities. And I want us to keep this in mind, that as we read this section of Romans, this is not Paul's opinion. This is not his thoughts. This is the inspired word of God that is given to you and to me this morning. So we read in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So let's pray before we continue on. Father, as we come to your word, We know that this is God-breathed. This is your instructions given to us as believers in our civil responsibilities and and how we're to conduct ourselves before 
the ruling authorities. And so, Lord, this can be hard. This can be difficult, especially in the day and age that we're in. Uh, what's taken place in, in our uh, culture, what's taken place in, in Washington, in our own capital. We look at it and we get very concerned. So, Lord, we just pray for guidance. We pray for you to, to guide us through this, to give us a, a biblical perspective. And, Lord, to take it and trust in you, Lord, that you have those in authority for your purposes, whatever that might be, and that we can rest in that and, and begin to know that, Lord, that there's a final culmination that's going to result um, that will come, and that is the coming of your kingdom. So, Lord, we just give this time to you in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are told very clearly in God's word what our responsibility as Christians should be towards government, our, our civil responsibilities. We're to be subject to the governing authorities, and the authorities, it's interesting, that exist are appointed by God. Now, we know that human government is ordained by God. We see that clear back in the beginning of time after the flood. When you go into Genesis chapter 10, what you see is the nations that begin to form that are listed there in chapter 10. And then also, as you continue through the Old Testament, you see, uh, for example, that God used government for his purposes. We see it with Pharaoh in Egypt. We see that Jeremiah, when we go back to Jeremiah, uh, after we get done with the book of Revelation, Revelation, going through the Old Testament, that Jeremiah would call Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, the servant of the Lord, used of God to bring judgment against Judah and Jerusalem. Of course, in Isaiah, Cyrus, the king of Persia, is named there and named as God's servant, God's instrument to be used of him to make that decree where after the Babylonian captivity that the Jews could go back and rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem. We know as we move into the New Testament that Jesus talked about um, the king's army and, and, and we go through and the scriptures and we see God's perspective on government that is in his word. Now I realize that as we do read this, this can be a little bit hard to swallow for some of us and, and I'm to be subject to the governing authorities. And we can think certainly this doesn't mean those in Washington or those at the state capitol. But it does. And think about this. When, when was Paul writing this? Paul was writing this, inspired by the Spirit of God to put these words down, when Caesar Nero was the emperor of Rome. And we know that Caesar Nero persecuted the Christians very heavily. We know that Rome would rule over the people with, with a, a heavy hand. They bludgeoned everybody into submission. And if you spoke against Caesar or you came against Rome, you were in big trouble. If you were not a Roman citizen, and remember, most of the people in the Roman Empire at this time, they were not Roman citizens. You could be flogged. You could be scourged. Of course, Jesus took that scourging uh, in the sufferings that he endured for you and for me. Or you could be crucified. And when they crucified uh, you know, criminals, they would put them on major roads coming into cities. And Jesus, of course, he was innocent. He, he was crucified. And they would 
crucify him. And we're told in John's gospel that there was a major road that passed by. And the people passed by. They looked at that and they saw that. But in the crucifixions that they would have crosses along those roads, it was a message to people, don't mess with Rome. If you didn't pay your taxes, you were in serious consequences. If you rebelled or protested against Rome or Caesar, you were in serious, you know, trouble. So Paul here writes, we're to be subject to those in power because they are appointed by God. Now, those in power, we may not respect or understand why God put them there. But the word says that God has appointed them for what reasons God knows. And of course, it is for his purposes. And we can think at times when we see those who are in authority, those who are policy makers or ruling over us, we can think, man, it seems like everything is just kind of out of control. But it's not. And God's not in heaven in a panic in what to do. He's the one that's in control. And he's the one that's sitting on the throne. And we need to keep that in mind. And everything is culminating to where his kingdom is going to be established. If you were with us in our Bible study on Wednesday, when we opened up chapter 6, we, we went to the book of Daniel, and the very foundation of Bible prophecy in Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel is interpreting that, that dream that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had. And in that interpretation of the image that he saw, made of different metals, it spoke of the different Gentile empires and kingdoms that would come on the scene from the time of Daniel up into the second coming of Jesus Christ. That was all, uh, most of it, before even those kingdoms existed. So we know that the Lord, he ordained government. He ordained nations. We see that. And we need to keep in mind that the Lord is the one on the throne, just as they needed to know that in John's day, who were being ruled at the end of the first century when John wrote the book of Revelation, that Domitian was in power and he hated the Christians. And he persecuted the Christians very heavily. And they needed to know during that time that the Lord is on the throne, he's in control, and he's going to come back, and he's going to establish his kingdom. And keep in mind that you're citizens of heaven, and you belong to a holy nation, as Peter writes in his epistle. And we need to keep that in mind as well in the day in which we are living in. So we are to be subject to the governing authorities and to know that he appoints those in authority for his purposes. And sometimes as Christians, we'll have the attitude, as long as I agree with what is being legislated, then I'll be subject to the governing authorities. Now, I will say this because I want to bring a balance. There is those occasions where, of course, the law of God supersedes the law of man. And in those occasions, I am going to be obedient to God. We see, for example, in the early church, when people were told that they were to recognize that Caesar was Lord or be thrown in prison or to have your possessions taken away or even be executed. That's what was happening under Domitian at the end of the first century. And the believers said, we're not going to do that. 
We're not going to bow the knee to Caesar. And in Revelation chapter 2, when we were reading that letter that Jesus wrote to the church of Smyrna, they were the persecuted church. And in the city of Smyrna 2,000 years ago, they had what was called the Golden Street. And on the Golden Street, they had all these temples and altars that were built to different gods because the Romans believed in many different gods and they worshiped many different gods. But one of the temples that they had was a temple that was dedicated to Caesar worship. And if you were there in Smyrna, if you were there in Proconsular Asia and in the Roman Empire, people would come and they would go to that temple that was dedicated to Caesar and you would go in and you would burn incense and you would bow the knee and then they would record it. And if you left that temple and you went to another temple on the golden street that was dedicated to another god, Aphrodite or whoever it might be, they could care less if you did that. And the Christians at that time, if they had built a temple dedicated to Jesus, if they went and bowed the knee to Caesar and then went to the temple to dedicate, you know, to worship Jesus, you see, they were meeting in homes. They didn't build a temple, you know. Uh, they knew that Jesus dwelt in their hearts, that they were to worship in spirit and truth. And, and if they would have gone to bow the knee to Caesar and it's recorded and then go to their homes or to a place of worship, to worship Jesus, no problem. But the Christians said, we are not going to bow the knee to Caesar because Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And we're going to be loyal to our Lord. It was Peter and the other apostles, for example, as you read there in the book of Acts, that as the Sanhedrin council, the, the rulers, that is the Jewish Supreme Court, would arrest them as they're preaching the gospel in Jerusalem and, and told Peter and the other apostles that don't speak the name of Jesus anymore. And what was the response? It was whether it is right to obey God or man, you judge, but we know that we cannot but speak the things that we have seen or heard. Acts chapter 4. They were obedient to the Lord. They go and preach the name of Jesus to spread the gospel. You see, folks, the way it's going, if the time comes where we get persecuted for speaking the gospel and the word of God, then we must be obedient to God. If the time comes where I'm told that you cannot speak on biblical morality behind the pulpit, I'm going to do what God told me to do. And I'm going to be true to the scriptures. And I'm going to be true to the Lord. And if they throw me in jail, then throw me in jail. And today we see more of a mood towards that, that, that I hope and pray that we don't lose our religious freedoms. You know, one of the things that I face, and over the years, if I'm, you know, I've been asked and invited to pray in public many times. And it seems like, especially if, it, if it's a civil uh, or secular setting and they want me to do an invocation, you know, at a graduation or perhaps at a, a congressional breakfast or whatever it might be. Uh, I was invited a couple months ago to do the invocation down at the state capitol in the Senate chambers. And you can bet on it every time there's somebody that comes up and says, you can't pray in Jesus' name. Make sure that you don't do that. 
So a couple months ago, when I was asked to do the invocation, there was going to be a proclamation for police week, and, and, and peace officers from all over the state were there, and recognizing those who have, uh, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice in the last year, uh, in uh, the peace officers that we've lost um, in the state of Colorado, and I was to, asked to do the invocation, and as I went down, Jesse, who's leading worship, went with me. We had to leave early in the morning because it was snowy, and we went down, and we went into the Senate chamber, and the Senate president brings me up, and he says, this is what's going to happen. This is what is taking place today, and he hands me a piece of paper, and it says, guidelines for prayer. So I took that piece of paper, and I knew that probably was going to happen, and I walked over where Jesse was, and I gave it to Jesse, and I said, we'll read this after I say the prayer. So he's sitting there looking at it. He's looking at me as, as I'm sitting up front. And as I said the prayer, I prayed in Jesus' name. Then I came back, and of course the paper says, your prayer must be non-sectarian, you know, which means you're not supposed to do that. I wasn't looking to cause you know, an uproar or anything. I was there to minister to peace officers. But if you ask me to pray, I'm going to be loyal to the Lord. And there's only one Lord. And I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. Folks, stand for righteousness. Stand for the word of God. Stand for our Lord. And don't be afraid to do that. So when the instructions and command of God is clear, then I follow God. I'm obedient to God. But again, the balance, for the most part, I'm to be obedient to the governmental authorities. They are appointed by God, again, for his purposes. We know that Pharaoh, when he had Joseph be the prime minister in the book of Genesis, and then that famine came, that there's Jacob, and Jacob would bring his family, and they're there in Egypt. And at first, Pharaoh, you know, that Pharaoh gave them the best of the land, and they were able to, to live there in peace. But then over time, nearly 400 years, the Pharaoh rose up and, and put them in slavery as, uh, you know, the, the Hebrews began to multiply and put them in bondage, baking bricks in the hot, blistering sun. And Moses came to Pharaoh and said, Moses, let God's people go. And he said, no. And, and the message of the Lord to Pharaoh was, you're going to see that truly that he is the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, that he is the Lord. And you're going to see, and the other nations are going to see that. And Pharaoh would. We know, as we've talked about Nebuchadnezzar, that he would be used uh, of God for the purposes of taking Judah into captivity, Judah and their idol worship. We know Cyrus, we've already talked about him, Caesar Augustus in Luke chapter 2, that it came to pass in those days that a decree went out that all the world should be registered to be Tax and Caesar Augustus is mentioned there. And of course, God put that thought into Caesar Augustus' mind. And when he spoke, the whole empire was in transition. Everybody had to move. Nobody could protest. But he did it for his purposes to get Joseph and Mary, who were in Nazareth, to go to Bethlehem. Because Joseph was of the house and lineage of who? David of the house of Bethlehem to where his son would be born there in Bethlehem. It was for his purposes. And then Jesus, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, one of the worst Roman governors that Judea ever had, but was used in the purposes of God. On Wednesday night, as we moved into chapter 6 of Revelation, uh, that we talked about there's, how there's going to be a future leader that will come on the scene, and he's going to be worse 
than Caesar Augustus or Caesar Nero or Domitian or Hitler or Stalin. And this future world leader who is called the Antichrist is going to be allowed to come on the scene. He's going to be a world leader so that the prophetic events will come to pass that will lead to the establishment of God's kingdom. And during that time, he's going to call the world to take his identity and to take his mark. And it is going to be the tribulation saints, the believers, are going to say, we're not going to do that. We read in verse 2, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. So in other words, since government has a rightful authority from God, we're bound to obey them again unless they order us to do something in contradiction to God's law. We do read in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we're to pray for those who are in authority. Titus chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 2 also tells us that we're to be subject to the governing authorities and rulers and to pray for those who are in, you know, in authority. So the scripture is clear that we're to be subject and pray for those in authority. And of course, that doesn't mean that we agree with everything that they say or do. Of course not. And then verse 2 tells us if you resist, you bring judgment on yourself. That is, for example, if you say, I'm not going to pay taxes, you're going to get in trouble, right? If you go fishing this summer up in the mountains and a game warden uh, checks to see if you have a fishing license, if you don't have one, you're going to get in trouble. If you have a building project and you don't get the right permits, you, then you're going to get in trouble by the building inspector. And again, we are told that we are to be subject to them. So we're going to have, you know, the code, everything up the code here in the building and the fire alarm and all of that that we're told to do. We're not going to say we're not going to do that. In verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So next time you get pulled over for speeding, remember that that state trooper or that you know, county deputy or that city police is God's minister, a peace officer. You don't need to fear the police as long as you're obeying the law. If you're going 25 miles an hour over the speed limit, guess what? You're probably, over time, going to get caught. You're going to get pulled over and get a ticket. You don't have to be afraid if you're doing the speed limit, right? If you're doing the speed limit, you're not looking you know, around to you know, see if you're going to get caught speeding and all that. You don't fear the state patrol or you know, the local authorities. So keep in mind that we're to be subject, dry the speed limit, you know, uh, and remember that peace officers are ministers of God. And a little side note, make sure that you pray for them. And we do pray for them here at Calvary Chapel. And we support them because they have a very difficult ministry in the day in which we were living in. But I am so thankful for them. I'm thankful that we can call them when we need help. And therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's minister, attending, you know, continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. We submit and we're subject to the governing authorities, not only because we fear punishment, but we know that it's right before God. 
We're to pay taxes is what it says. I don't think we should pay any more than we have to, but we're to pay taxes. They asked Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? They were trying to trap Jesus, the religious leaders. And Jesus said, give me a coin and whose image is on it is Caesar's. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, Jesus said, and then render to God the things that are God's. And I know it's hard to pay taxes. It is. It's hard to see our tax payers' money being wasted as certain things or going to certain things that, you know, that we totally disagree or are wrong. The wasteful spending. You know, all four of my kids are adults now, and when they first got jobs and they got their first paycheck, they couldn't believe, what's this? What's this taxes stuff? You know, it's like, welcome to the real world now. <laughs> you know what taxes are. And it's interesting that you hear talk when we're in election year, and, and you're hearing talk from some that are saying that some, you know, groups should be paying up to 80% of taxes. I'm thinking 80%? That's crazy. I am glad that we have services that our taxes go to making sure that we have clean water. Greeley's got the best tasting water in North America. I'm glad it's paid so that we have police, that we have fire, we have first responders, that we have roads. I'm thankful for that, that we have power and electricity because that isn't always the case in different parts of the world. I'm very thankful that if we need help, yes, we can call, you know, 911. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to show up. I'm thankful for our military. I think some of the, the best men and women in our nation are in the military, in law enforcement, that are protecting us and serving us. And I'm very thankful for that. So they are God's minister. And we, again, are to be praying for those who are serving our nation in those first responders and support them. And owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. So some look at verse 8 and take it as a command to never borrow, but Jesus permitted borrowing in passages like Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now with that said, the Bible does talk about not being in bondage to debt. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 tells us that the borrower is the servant to the lender. We live in a society, and again, in a culture where many people are in serious debt. Some people, they're just drowning in it. And it's very, very difficult. We live in a nation that $22 trillion in debt, I believe, is where we're at. And I think, how do we get out of that? Do we, we don't pay that back. I remember when President Reagan, you know, back in the 80s, was making a speech and I was listening to it and he was concerned because we are a trillion dollars in debt, one trillion dollars, and we need to do something. Now we're 22 trillion dollars, we don't even bat an eye. We don't want to be in slavery to debt. And oftentimes people end up in great debt because sometimes they haven't learned to be content. I know there's different reasons why they do and, and we, you know, can have some debt with a mortgage, with a home, but we need to learn to be responsible and, and good stewards of what God has given to us. One of the things that we do in premarital counseling is, is that we talk to couples, and we talk to couples about 
living within a budget because the two biggest problems in a marriage is number one, communication. It's not the only problems, but big problems begin with the lack of communication and then with finances. And I've had couples set up in my office where one of them was paying the bills and the mortgage wasn't being paid and did not communicate that to the other spouse and they lost their home. And they're going, well, I didn't want to worry you. Why didn't you say something? Now we've lost the house. Or they're in such debt that they can't get out and it creates such problems. So back to our text, Paul writes that the debt that we're to carry is that of love. To love others. And he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And there was one that asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And our Lord said, love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we're to be indebted to love one another. And then in verse 9, for the commandments... You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. For if there's any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So here Paul, as he's concluding this section on being subject to the governing authorities, and, and again, this is something to pray through, to realize our responsibility. Keep the proper perspective, folks, that we're citizens of heaven. We belong to a kingdom that will last forever. And again, it doesn't mean we live in a society where we have freedoms, and I'm thankful for that in a democracy. Listen, if God you know, calls you to get involved in the, in the political process, then get involved as the Lord leads. And I'm thankful that we have Christians, that some that are in leadership, that are in the state senate or uh, representatives or in Washington, and I know some of them. And we are to pray for them because it's very difficult for them. But I'm thankful for those Christians that, that to believe in the Lord, the godly influence that we have, you know, in Washington, in the administration. And, and we hear those things, but pray for them. And I think that as Christians, keep in mind that we are to be a light. You and I are the only light truly that there is in this society, in this culture. You are the light of the world. So be that light. Be a good example. You know, we are to encompass every area of our lives in living for the Lord. And I believe that as Christians, we have the privilege that we can have our voices be heard, can't we? Yeah, we can be heard. And I think we should be heard. We should stand for righteousness. And we also have the opportunity to hold our officials, you know, governmental leaders and those elected officials accountable. And we should hold them accountable. Because many brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, they don't have that freedom. And there are parts of the world where they can't speak. You know, if, if I was to say something in disagreement to, to Washington or what's going on in the Capitol, uh, you know, I got the freedom to be able to say that. So do you. If you don't like the teaching today, you can go home and when you have lunch, you can have roast pastor for lunch. You know, you can say whatever. And you're going to be okay. We have those freedoms and we'd be thankful for that. You do that in Iran, you speak against the mullahs or the ayatollahs, you're going to go bye-bye. And nobody's going to know where you are. You do that in North Korea, the Christians who are underground, 
who are hiding, who are worshiping the Lord, if they say anything against the dictator there, they're in big trouble. And you and I, we can hold the, the officials and elected officials accountable. But here's the bottom line. That the law can be summed up for you and for me is that we're to love others. And to keep a proper perspective that we belong to the kingdom of God and we are to be praying for those in authority. Yes, we are to speak out. You stand for righteousness. Let's stand for God's truth. But let's keep in mind that everything is happening. And I'm mentioning this because we are entering into that election year and things are going to get real nasty, aren't they? And we can get all worked up and we can get all, you know, stressed out. And what's going to happen? Who's going to win? And what if this happens? Listen, he is in control. He's in control. And he is our Lord. And you see, when we get to the end of the book of Revelation, you know, I'll tell you the ending. We win. Okay? We win. And the Lord's going to establish his kingdom. But in the meantime, be light, stand for righteousness, and let's love others. Let's love the people in this community. Let's love them enough to give them truth and give them the gospel. Tomorrow, when we're in the park, the rest of, of the summer, every day that we have opportunity, be a light and a witness to them. And as we are loving, <clears throat> then we're not going to be sinning against others, as Paul says. The law can be summed up in this in love. When you're loving the Lord, you're going to want to please him to be that living sacrifice. And Lord, put that love in me that I may be able to love others as well and be that witness and that testimony of the reality of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you so much for <clears throat> here as we look at this text that can be difficult sometimes, but it is given to us <clears throat> so that we can be a living sacrifice. And even in this area of the civil responsibilities that we have, because we are citizens, and Lord, we want to be the best witness that we can be. We want to stand for truth. We want to stand for your word. We want to be a light. And Lord, our conduct, our countenance, Lord, our speech, our behavior, we want to be pleasing to you, Lord. And we know that you're in control. And as we come to the communion table here is... The communion table is for the believer. It's just not for those here at Calvary Chapel. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to take communion because it's remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. But if anyone is here, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He is your salvation. There is none other. And you see, in this epistle, we've read that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came to take care of the sin problem, the Son of God who went to the cross and died for you. And he loves you. That's why he went. And he rose again from the grave, and he proved he's the Son of God. He validated what he did on the cross. And the invitation is given for you to come, to come in faith and receive salvation and forgiveness and right relationship with the Father. And you can do that right where you are, sincerely in your heart, because he is your salvation. There's none other. Will you do that if you never have done that? If that means anything to anyone at this service, at this time, you can pray right where you're sitting. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess that I have sinned 
and I need forgiveness, and you are the one who died for my sins, so forgive me. And you are alive, and you're speaking to my heart, and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart and my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you. I want to walk with you. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I thank you for bringing in me into a kingdom that will last forever in Jesus' name. And if you did, anybody by chance pray that prayer, even if you're out in a coffee shop, that at the end of the service, we're going to take communion and then we're going to end the service. Will you come up and tell those who are up front to, to pray with people the decision that you made? But right now, as we are going to take communion, as the elements are handed out, let's hold on to them. We'll partake of them together. In Jesus' name, amen.